open our hearts and our minds to receive it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First Samuel chapter 29. The Philistines gathered all their forces at Aphek and Israel camped by the spring in Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers uh, marched with their units and hundreds and thousands, David and his men were marching at the rear with Achish. Uh, the commander of the Philistines asked, what about these Hebrews? Achish replied, uh, is this not David, who was an officer of Saul, king of Israel? He was, has already been with me for over a year, and from the day he left Saul until now, I have found no fault in him. But the Philistine commanders were angry with him and said, Send the man back that he may return to the place you assigned him. He must not go with us into battle or he will turn against us during the fighting. How better could he regain his master's favour than by taking the heads of our own men? Isn't this the David they sang about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So Achish called David and said to him, As surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable, and I would be pleased to have you serve with me in the army. From the day you came to me until now, I have found no fault in you, but the rulers don't approve of you. Turn back and go in peace. Do nothing to displease the Philistine rulers. But what have I done? asked David. What have you found against your servant from the day I came to you until now? Why can't I go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? Kish answered, I know that you have been as pleasing in my eyes as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the Philistine commanders have said he must not go up with us into battle. Now get up early along with your master servants who have come with you and leave in the morning as soon as it is light. So David and his men got up early in the morning to go back to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Amen. In the book, uh, The Hobbit, written by Tolkien, uh, there is a chapter called Out of the Frying Pan and Into the Fire. It talks about how the heroes escape uh, caves full of foul beasts only to find themselves literally surrounded by fire and unable to escape. Uh, the expression, out of the frying pan and into the fire, is easily understood. It is a common and useful expression because as human beings, we are prone to getting ourselves into such situations. Sometimes these things are not of our own making, but sometimes they are entirely our fault. We escape one situation only to find ourselves in a worse one. And sometimes it takes a miracle to get us out of it. For the heroes in The Hobbit, giant eagles come to fly them away from danger. Uh, but for David, it is the Lord who comes to his rescue through the hands of his enemies. And this case is interesting because David doesn't even know the depth of the danger that he is in. And yet the Lord will bring him out nonetheless. David and his men have been called by King Achish to join the Philistines in battle. And it has come about because David was first afraid of Saul so afraid that he needed to flee to the Philistine lands in order to avoid him. But while he has been living there, he has lived a deceptive life. 
uh, he has been killing Israel's enemies, while at the same time letting King Achish think that he was actually killing Israelites. And Achish, the king of Gath, now thinks that David has made himself so odious to his own people that he will never, ever change sides again. And he has asked him to join them in battle against Israel and even to be his bodyguard. But what can David do? Does he fail to turn up for battle and bring the wrath of the king against him? He certainly can't fight against the Israelites. That's not his desire. Can he turn up for battle but somehow fight for the Israelites instead? What chance will David have of surviving? David is in deep trouble. though he doesn't know the half of it. What we actually saw last week was something else that David didn't know. And that is that the Lord had already determined that Saul and his sons will die in the coming battle and Israel will be handed over to the Philistine army. They'll be defeated. What David doesn't know could mean his life. Chapter 29 begins, The Philistines gathered all their forces at Aphek, and Israel camped by the spring in Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers marched with their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were marching at the rear with a kish. So David does turn up, and he is there to be inspected before the battle. He can't possibly intend to fight against the Israelites, and yet here he is. So at this point, it's unclear as if he's still looking for a way out or, or whether he intends to do the most audacious thing and line up with the Philistines for, at the back and then change sides as soon as the battle begins with the hope of a glorious Israelite victory. And nothing looks easy, and David is certainly in a tight spot. It's a tight spot, of course, of his own making. His own schemes of deception against Achish, the king of Gath, have led him to this point where Achish trusts him and has no doubts about, about him whatsoever. But Achish has bought into this deception so thoroughly that he has made David his protector. And so now David is called into battle and has to line up with his 600 men alongside thousands and thousands of Philistines. David, in the last few chapters, has basically been relying on his own counsel. Uh, he has, in the past, inquired of the Lord. He's actually prayed to the Lord and asked for answers. But that's been noticeably absent ever since he fled in fear to Achish. Instead, he has sought to live amongst the Philistines, trying to live out a godly life, while at the same time trying to please the king instead. And now he is reaping the seeds that he has sown. Paul says in his second letter to the Corinthians, Do not be yoked with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Now, this is surely the very circumstance that David finds himself in. By living to please King Achish, he has become yoked with him. 
He has even become his bodyguard. But this yoking cannot last. In the end, it will be broken or prove the undoing of David. You see, we are called to live in the world, but we cannot be a part of it. You might be able to keep the world happy for a time, but in the end, you will be called to fight for the wrong side. Siding with the world demands compromise, and eventually and inevitably, it will leave you in a spot where you need to come to terms with the importance of Christ in your life. The world is not friendly with Christ. It is in rebellion against God. The world is at odds with Christians. And to live and pretend like things are otherwise will eventually lead to a crisis point, just like it has for David. The best thing for David right now would be for a way to be made that he may withdraw from the battle. And here comes the Lord through David's enemies, making a path for David to escape this corner he has painted himself into. As the armies are assembled and inspected, the commanders of the Philistines asked, what about these Hebrews? They stick out. They don't belong. The Philistines don't refer to the Israelites by God's name for them, but by their race. And it might be used in a derogatory manner, but interestingly, the last time it was used in 1 Samuel was back in chapter 14, where Saul defeated the Philistines. And the Hebrews, who had joined in with the Philistines, changed sides during the battle and fought for Israel. The Philistines would not forget that so easily. There is a distrust of those who have seemingly changed sides when they are Hebrew. After such a battle, you might imagine the Philistines saying to themselves, never trust a Hebrew. The Philistines certainly don't trust David and his men, but Achish, he still defends David. He replied, is this not David who was an officer of Saul, king of Israel? He has already been with me for over a year and from the day he left Saul until now I have found no fault in him. Kish looks at David as, as a man once high in the, in the ranks of Israel and who is now completely with him. He thinks that he has an accurate view of David's mind. But of course that view is founded upon a belief that David has been waging his own private war against Israel. He thinks David is blameless in his sight, but the truth is otherwise. David has been the chief of deceit. His every word to Akish has been filled with double meanings. And Akish has been overly optimistic, even gullible. And so he defends David. The Philistine commanders were angry with him and said, send the man back that he may return to the place you assigned him. He must not go with us into battle or he will turn against us during the fighting. How better could he regain his master's favour than by taking the heads of our own men? Isn't this the David they sang about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. The points that the Philistine commanders are making are absolutely true. For the battle to go their way, David can't be there. 
If he remains, he will very likely turn against them in the fight. And being at the back, being the bodyguard of Akish, being in the back where all the lords of the Philistines are standing, his, his betrayal could turn the battle in an instant. It could turn into a rout. And Israel would once more sing the praises of David. The song that they quote was the first sung when David defeated Goliath and the whole Philistine army was put to flight. How much more would they sing here if David started attacking the Philistine army from the rear, starting with the heads of the Philistine commanders? There'd hardly be a voice in Israel to speak against David ever again. David would surely be welcomed back into Israel. Akish can't win over the commanders because their arguments are sound and irrefutable. Now, Akish wasn't a, a king in the way you might think. The Philistines actually had a king for each of their major cities. And so Akish may have had some, some authority over them, but they were really submitting to him of their own free will. And so in these kinds of things, they could have easily walked away if he didn't agree and the battle would come to nothing. So Akish needs to listen to the voices of others because he doesn't command them. And so instead of sticking to his guns, Akish ends up apologising to David and sending him home. Now, you would think that having found a way out of the tight spot that he is in, that David would see the hand of God in all of this and go... Awesome. I'll go home. And he would gladly return to Ziklag with a kish none the wiser. But that's not how David reacts. Verse 6 says, A kish called David and said to him, As surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable, and I would be pleased to have you serve with me in the army. From the day you came to me until now, I have found no fault in you, but the rulers don't approve of you. Turn back and go in peace. Do, not, do nothing to displease the Philistine rulers. But what have I done? Asked David. What have you found against your servant from the day I came to you until now? Why can't I go and fight against the enemies of my Lord the King? Of all things, David complains. It seems like he wants to stay, doesn't it? If he wants to go, why would he argue the point at all? He could just humbly and meekly return home. Why fight at all? David wants to stay. So far, to hide his true intents, David has not, never strictly lied to Akish, but he's used double speak. He says one thing, but means something different altogether. And so he's allowed Akish to form his own view. He's spoken like a, a dodgy politician who seems to say one thing but means something else altogether. And so when Akish asked David who he was fighting against, instead of David saying, oh, well, I was fighting against the, the Geshurites, the Gerzites and the Amalekites, David said, I was fighting in the Negev of Judah and the Negev of Jeremiel and in the Negev of the Kenites. Speaking of places but not speaking of who. And as such, leaving Akish with the idea that he was actually attacking Israelites. 
when Achish told David that he would need to assemble for battle with the Philistines, David said, then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. Boy, what does that even mean? It could mean anything, yet Achish took it to mean that David would fight against Israel to the utmost of his ability. And he made him his bodyguard. And now David says, why can't I go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? If we follow David's double speak, he's not talking about Akish as lord and king. He's never really considered Akish to be his lord and king. But these are the very words that David would use to describe Saul. Even when Saul was attacking David, David would call him my lord and my king. What David actually hopes to do is to fight against the Philistines, the enemies of David's true lord and king, who is Saul. Even now, he hopes to change Achish's mind, to let him go along and carry out this daring plan. You see, David thinks that things have actually been turning his way, that the Lord has been leading him to a position where he will be able to change sides during the battle take out the leadership of the Philistines, help win a great victory for Israel, and so once more earn the acceptance of Israel and return to the land even while Saul still reigns. It's a daring plan. But David cares for Israel and would rather fight with them. And even now in exile, where he seeks to avoid Saul, he still remains loyal to him. But the problem is, this isn't the Lord's plan at all. David doesn't know that the Lord has already purposed that the Philistines should win this battle. That Saul and his sons should die on the battlefield. David trying to turn the tide from behind enemy lines would only result in disaster. David needs to be sent away. It is Akish who tells David to go home, but it is the Lord who is sending him away. Akish answered, I know that you have been as pleasing in my eyes as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the Philistine commanders have said he must not go up with us into battle. Now get up early along with your master servants who have come with you and leave in the morning as soon as it is light. And David, his men, did just that. Akish uh, talks of David being blameless and innocent and pleasing in his eyes. But we should note that this is all based on a lie. David has been living a double life in the presence of Achish. He has pulled the wool over his eyes and Achish has been blind to David's real intentions. David has not been honest in the least with Achish. He has been deceptive. He has been lying. And the praise he receives from Akish means nothing when it is based on a falsehood. He is not truly innocent in the eyes of Akish if Akish actually knew the truth. He's not innocent in the eyes of the Lord. It, do it doesn't matter what praise you earn from the world. It doesn't matter if the whole world counts you a saint, a great, generous, honest person. It doesn't matter because... They can't see the whole you. 
It doesn't matter because their standards aren't the Lord's standards. And what they say about you isn't how you will be judged in the end. What the Lord thinks matters beyond all else. And David's deceit might pass by Akish, but it's not passing by the Lord. There are some elements of David's behaviour which have been commendable. He is never really turned from the Lord. Even now, Akish's comments to David speak of David's faith. Akish even swears by the name of the Lord God in verse 6 to commend David in a way that would honour David. So even Akish knows where David's faith stands. David has not wavered in that. And we also know that David has continued to fight for Israel and even now he still hopes to do so. And so his heart for the people of Israel never wavered. He has a heart for God. He has a heart for the people of Israel, but he is far from perfect. He has uh, sought shelter with the enemy. He has yoked himself to a kish, and all this could have resulted in even greater disasters. Imagine if David stayed. Even if David's plan succeeded and Israel won the day, how would that look with Saul dead on the battlefield and David having started on the wrong side? If David betrayed the Philistines in battle that way, when David took the throne, how could any nation surrounding him ever trust David again? He was the betrayer. But more importantly, the Lord had already determined that the Philistines would win the battle, that David and his sons would die. Sorry, that Saul and his sons would die. What would have happened to David if he stayed? And he changed sides. What would happen when the Philistines won? That day the Lord rescued David from his own folly. David thought himself wise. David thought he had it under control. David did not. But thankfully, the Lord did. Thankfully, it was in the Lord's hands. Now, how many times have you been saved from disaster because of the Lord's hand? How many prayers have actually gone unanswered because the Lord knew better? How many times have our plans been thwarted by the Lord because he cares for us? The fact that the Lord works all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, stands as true here for David as it does for any of us today. David's life needed to be spared because he would need to ascend that throne of Israel. The Lord had promised it. The Lord had ordained it. And from his line would come Jesus Christ, our Saviour. This is how it was always planned to be. David needed to ascend that throne. And so the Lord would not let David die until his purposes for David had been fulfilled. But conversely, the Lord has not promised that he will save us to preserve us in this life. That's not his promise to us, is it? Instead, the Lord has promised 
that all who have faith in his son will be preserved into the next life. And that's a different thing. But even still, as you know, the Lord has rescued us many a time. He has prevented us from going down the wrong path. He has stood in the way when we could have committed ourselves to evil deeds. He has stepped in to drag us out of circumstances we thought had closed us in. He does come to our rescue because he loves us. We are prone to doing all the wrong things. We think ourselves wise, we, but we act without thinking things through. We do foolish things, sometimes out of fear, sometimes to keep the world pleased, sometimes simply because our sinful desires can reign unchecked in our lives. We do things like seek comfort and security in the world and in our own possessions and our money instead of in the Lord. We seek security in friendships with the world and we begin to compromise. We are prone to these things because sin is still a part of us. It will not be fully destroyed in us until we come into our Heavenly Father's kingdom. But we have a Saviour who speaks for us. A Saviour who intercedes for us. A Saviour who is working all things for our good. A Saviour who rules and reigns over all things and brings that power to bear so that when you have gotten yourself into trouble, there will always be a way of escape. And there will always be forgiveness. And there will always be His assurance that your life, no matter what mess you've made of it, is secure with him. Now the Lord doesn't delight in you getting yourself into the wrong circumstances. So don't take his rescue efforts as permission to get yourself into trouble. But know this one thing. He loves you more than you can imagine. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you because of all that you are. You are love, you are faithfulness, you are gracious, you are wonderful and all of these things we see in our lives. We thank you for your love and your care for us. We thank you for the way you pull us out of trouble. We thank you for your spirit who works in us to to guide us in new paths. And we thank you for your Son and for the forgiveness that we have through Him when we stumble down the wrong ones. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and we thank you for your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name.